If you're able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join hearing his word. The Old Testament reading is Psalm 139, 13 to 16. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Our New Testament reading is in Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice of impurity but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt throughout deceitful desires, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on your new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Word. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and we thank you for this day that you've given us, Lord. Um, day where we are able to once again wake up to your mercies. Once again, remember the work of your son, Jesus Christ what that means in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are even now moving in our hearts to worship you, to give you praise, to give you glory and honor. We pray that we would continue to do so as we hear your word now, work in our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you would renew our minds, continue, Lord, to conform us to your image that, Lord, we may glorify you in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Good morning. We continue our series in the gospel and human sexuality. This is the third week, and so we've heard two awesome sermons, I, I personally, I think, from Pastor Kenny. And so um, I've been tasked with this part of the series about talking about identity and how that affects our human sexuality. And so just a, 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 a I guess a, a disclaimer in the very beginning here that the sermon might go a little bit longer because there's a lot to pack in here. And so I'm gonna try to talk as fast as I can. Um, and so children's worship uh, volunteers, I'm sorry, probably can't hear me, but yeah, I'm sorry. Generally, a person's identity is 
defined by how they perceive themselves. And so Merriam-Webster in the dictionary defines identity as the distinguishing character or personality of an individual or individuality and the relation established by psychological identification. That is the definition. So basically, identity is the answer to the question of who do you think you are? Who do you think you are, right? That, that answer is your identity. What makes you, you? As such, identity is relative to a host of different variables, such as your culture, your gender, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic class, geography, your family upbringing, et cetera, et cetera. And how you describe yourself often deeply reflects what you think about yourself. And so if you introduce yourself to me and you say, oh, hey, my name is so-and-so and I'm an Eagles fan. Well, what that tells me is that you place high priority in your identity in football. And if you say, oh, nice to meet you, I'm a Steelers fan, then that tells me that you like to be disappointed. <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. If you introduce yourself to me and say, oh, I'm, I'm this ethnicity, I'm Korean, or I'm Latino, or I'm this kind of person, then that tells me right off the bat that you identify yourself and you place a high priority on your ethnicity. And so if it is true that your identity is defined by the things that you characterize yourself, right, your personality and things like that, then it is also true that your sexual identity is defined by the way that you perceive yourself in terms of your sex and your sexuality. According to today's culture, human sexuality is defined as, uh, I'm sorry, human sexuality can change throughout an individual's life and may or may not align with biological sex, sexual behavior, or actual sexual orientation. Sexual identity is also different from gender identity, which the dictionary defines as a person's internal sense of being male, female, a combination of male and female, or neither male nor female. In other words, according to our culture, Sexual identity means that you can be born with a biological gender, but feel like you're a different one later on in your life. You can have certain attractions to different genders at different times in your lives, and you can choose to love different people at various times, or at the same time, or none at all. And all of this attributes to your sexual identity, or not. Basically, everything is up to you to decide depending on how you feel and what your desires are at that moment. This is the current answer to the existential questions that are being thrown at the world. Who am I? What am I? What am I to believe? And basically, the world's answer is whatever. You can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. Whatever. You can choose to, to think of yourself however you want, and that is your answer. And nobody can tell you otherwise. This is the answer of a postmodern, a post-Christian society that teaches us that truth is subjective, that everything is subjective, and everyone should accept 
who they truly are, and they should accept how others are, no matter what that looks like, no matter what their truth or their feeling looks like, because truth is in fact relative, it's subjective, and it's different for everyone. So you can't tell someone else that their truth is wrong because truth is relative. Of course, we as Christians, with a Christian worldview, we who believe in Jesus as our Christ and our Lord, we who believe that God's word is the truth, we believe that these are all false notions. For if truth is subjective, then that means there is, there is no truth. And if there is no truth, then there are only lies. Unfortunately, these lies are prevalent in our world and are prevailing more and more in our individualistic society. And so the issue that we face in understanding our identity is that we believe that we can determine our identity. We believe that we can determine what we want our identity to be. We believe that we can identify ourselves based on anything, our feelings, our surroundings, whatever it is. And so the problem with this is that there's sin in this world. That's the problem. We're broken. And so if we determine our identity in these ways, then we will always identify ourselves and have an identity that is in brokenness, that is in sin, and that is in shame. And so without a true understanding of sin, we cannot understand our identities. And without a true understanding of sin, we cannot understand our, our identity in Christ. And we cannot I identify ourselves in the redemption of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Kenny, he referred to a survey that was done by Ligonier Ministries and Lifeway Research. It's called the State of Theology in Our Nation. And many people were surveyed, including those who identified themselves as evangelical Christians. And so this was, this was what it means, right? Th these were the four components that made you an evangelical Christian for this survey. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Number two, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Number three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And number four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So people who adhered to these four points said, yeah, I, I believe that. I'm an evangelical Christian. Well, out of the evangelical Christians that took the survey, 65% of them agreed that everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God with another 3% being unsure. 37% of evangelicals agreed that gender identity is a matter of your choice, with another 4% being unsure. 37% of evangelicals agreed that religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth with another 7% being unsure. And this is what they wrote in the State of Theology article. They said, an identity crisis is ravaging the church in America. This survey result reflects a, reflects a view of human identity that aligns more with American society 
than the Bible. God's word clearly teaches that all people by nature are children of wrath. And in other words, we are not sinners because we sin, but we sin because we are sinners. And so, as we look at identity, what the Bible tells us, I'd like to discuss what the Bible tells us about our identity. And instead of trying to go you know, piece by piece about you know, gender and sexual identity and all these different things, just take a look at what the Bible tells us. And hopefully we'll be able to apply these truths in different areas and aspects of our lives. And though I won't be able to go through every detail and topic, the hope is that after this series, we're going to have a Sunday school class and so that we'll able to engage in more discussion. When it comes to our identity, we as Christians must believe that an objective truth exists. I know that's silly. It seems silly to say, but we have to believe that there is truth and that it's not just relative, it's not just subjective. We can't fall into the false perception that truth is just up to whoever speaks and whatever you're feeling, whatever you think. Sometimes truth can be subjective. For example, some people, when they see a glass that's at half, will say it's half empty. And others will say it's half full. And both are true. Both are relative truths to the person and the perspective that they're looking at. However, that does not mean that there is not an objective truth that supersedes both of those truths. The objective truth is that it's at half. It's not at a quarter, it's not at three-fourths, it's not empty. It can't be empty and at half and a quarter and three-fourths and full all at the same time. The objective truth is that it's at half. Now, whether you think it's half full or if it's half empty, the objective truth is that it's at half. And so, though it seems silly, we as Christians also have to believe that there is an objective truth that supersedes everything else. Not only this, but that there is one who gives that truth and who supplies us with that objective truth. And of course, for us Christians, the truth giver is God. And we find his truth and those truths in his word, the Bible. And so we can only understand our identity when we believe that God is the only one who can tell us the truth about our identity. In understanding our identity, God tells us two main things. He tells us, number one, that we are sinners from conception. And he tells us, number two, that we have been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ. We must believe these two truths that have been given to us by the truth giver God in order to understand our identity. In our New Testament passage, Paul points out in verses 17 through 19 that those who do not believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior are lost. He says they're lost because of their sin. And he gives us a list. He says they are are in sin, and so they are futile in their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from their life of God due to the hardness of their heart. 
and they have become callous and have given themselves up to every kind of sensuality and impurity. Why is this? Because of sin. This is the description of all of us. That we too, before Jesus Christ, fell into this category. And he details this more in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So then contrary to what seems like the majority of evangelicals that were surveyed that said that all people are born innocent and somehow became corrupted somewhere along the way in their lives, the Bible teaches us, God teaches us that we are all by nature children of wrath. By nature, we are enemies of God not lovers of God. We follow the course of the world, not the course of God. We followed the devil, and we were disobedient to God. We only wanted the passion, to follow the passions of our flesh, not the passions of God. Paul teaches us that we were dead in our sins, that we didn't become dead somewhere along the line. We, didn't, we weren't born alive, and then we died. We needed some help along the way. Paul says, and you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead. So then, contrary to those who think that we're somehow innocent, the reason that we must fully understand that we have original sin, that we are not inherently good, we, are, we didn't become righteous somehow. We never had right standing before God. The reason why we need to understand this truth fully is because without a proper understanding, then we cannot understand God's grace, his redemption, and his salvation fully. It is only because we are absolutely sinners that we need God absolutely to save us from our sins. If we were inherently good, if we had even a little bit of goodness in us, if we could make our way to righteousness, if we could work our way to righteousness, why would we need God? Why would we need Jesus to die for us? Why would I need to trust in Jesus when I can trust in myself, in my inherently goodness? Paul tells us that this is not the case. And in today's passage, he says, you've put off the old self, and Christ has put on a new self. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21, Paul tells us that we are a new creation, that the old has passed, and that we are new in Christ Jesus. We are no longer sons of disobedience, but sons of righteousness. We are no longer children of wrath, but children of the Most High God. We are no longer children of darkness, 
But children of light, we are no longer under the law, but under grace. We now belong to a heavenly kingdom. And we are now citizens of heaven. Paul says we are now ambassadors for Christ. Co-heirs of his kingdom. So we no longer walk in shame. We no longer walk in sin. But we walk in justification and righteousness through the work of Jesus Christ. Because our identity has changed. We have to first admit and realize that our identity was one thing before. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, our, and our entire identity has changed, right? From darkness to light, from evil, from following the ways of the world, from following the devil, to children of God, co-heirs to his kingdom, right? Our identity has changed. Now we can call him Abba Father. Before, we rebuked him. We hated him. We we're enemies of God. But now we call him our father because we have been adopted as children of God. So then no matter what our lives look like, no matter what we look like, no matter how we feel inside, and no matter what other people or others say about us, because of this truth, we have confidence and assurance of God's true love for us. We have true, real hope of eternal life rather than death and condemnation. And we find true acceptance For we are not simply accepted by a group for a period of time. And this is what we have to realize. If our identity is rooted in sin, if our identity is rooted in this world, and and we're looking for acceptance, we'll never find it. Because the world is ever-changing on who they're going to accept, who identifies as the right thing and the wrong thing. But if we identify ourselves in Christ Jesus... We have confidence that we find acceptance before an almighty God, not just now, but forever. Romans 8, 28 through 30, Paul says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We know this verse very well, right? That no no matter what, how we've messed up, no matter what kind of life we've lived, no matter how I feel inside, or whatever it is, he says, God works all things for good for those who are called according to his purpose. But then, let's continue on in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. All of this is because of who we once were. If we don't acknowledge who we were before, then we can't have all the things that, 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 that we are being offered here. If we don't acknowledge that without Christ, we are nothing. Without Christ, we are headed for condemnation. Without Christ, we are nothing but sinners. If we don't identify all of these things, that before Christ we're lost and broken, then we can't say and we can't identify that after Christ I'm redeemed. After Christ, because of Christ, I'm sanctified to be more, made more in the image of, of him every day. It's this new identity that has been given to us 
that we must view our lives and understand our lives. We cannot say that we are saved and have our identity in Christ, yet cling to the former things, cling to our former identity, cling to the former ways. That's called identity fraud. We can't claim to be someone else and claim their benefits, right? I can't claim to be my father even and claim Social Security and Medicaid and all those things. And say, oh, I'm a 70-year-old you know, male and I would like all of your benefits. That's called identity fraud. We, as Christians, can't say, I'm in Christ. I am saved. I am redeemed. I believe in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My identity rests in him. But then say, oh, but I want the things of the world and identify my things in the things of the world and I identify myself the way that the world wants me to identify myself. That's identity fraud. And so in verses 22 to 24, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I think oftentimes we forget that our identity is in Christ. Or maybe we don't fully believe that our identity is in Christ because of the way we live. It's a hard concept for us because in essence on one hand, Christ has already made us completely righteous and perfect before him. Yet on the other hand, we still live in a world with sin and we are being sanctified into his image daily. But we must remember that though our current flesh may fail us, that it doesn't mean that our identity changes in Christ. This is the deception that the devil wants us to fall into, that how can I really be saved if I keep having these feelings? How can I really be saved if I keep sinning in these ways? How can I really be saved if I still, you know, struggle with these things? We're going to struggle. And like Paul says, we're going to be renewed in our minds every day. And we're going to be sanctified every day. Until we are glorified, we will be sanctified every day. It's, it's a process but that doesn't change our identity before Almighty God. We don't become saved, sin, and then become unsaved, and then do something good, and then become saved again. Our identity doesn't keep flip-flopping before God. If you truly believe that you are dead and that Christ brought you back to life, then you're not going to go back to thinking you're dead again sometimes. You're going to believe in the life that you have been given. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 20, Paul lays this out beautifully. And I don't think I have time to read it. And so if you go home today, if you're worshiping with your family or, or just having some quiet time, read Philippians chapter 3. Paul describes the identity that we have in Christ. And I would like to just close with a, an example that I would like to give of our new identity in Christ. And as I was thinking about what kind of example could I give, whose example could I give, I thought it would be most appropriate if I just gave my own example rather than calling someone else out or trying to, you know, use somebody else. 
and I hope this helps. It's, this isn't you know, to tell you how great of a person I am or something like that. I hope you can see what God did in my life and give him glory for that. So when I was young, a little boy, maybe probably like six or seven years old, I remember thinking, when I grow up, I want to be 6'4", I want to be 240 pounds, and I want to be a white male. <laughs> That's what I wanted. God made me into a 5'8", 160-pound Korean male. When I was young, I wanted the anatomical structure of Michael Jordan so that I could jump really high and dunk on the basketball. The, the, the net. I can barely jump right now. Yeah. It hurts. When I was young, I wanted a bigger head. I wanted skinnier legs. I wanted broad, broader shoulders. When I was a child, I was chubby, and so I constantly wanted to lose weight. When I became a teenager, I was too skinny, and so I constantly wanted to gain weight. When I was young, I thought my eyes were too small, my nose was too big, my eyebrows weren't curved enough, my neck was too short, my left arm and my left leg are longer than my right arm and my right leg, and so I was constantly stretching my right side to make it even. <laughs> Not only that, but at home I was told that I was a Korean, so you speak Korean. When I went outside, I was told, you're an American, so speak English. Then I was told I was Chinese or Japanese, that I should go back to where I came from. I was ashamed of being Korean in a non-Korean society. And I remember for a little while, as I was growing up as a child, there were two things that I grew tired of telling people. How to pronounce my last name. And so I just started telling people, oh, you're Joshua Shu? Sure. Are you Joshua Sue? Sure. And I, because I grew tired of trying to explain people that it's not Sue or Shu, it's Sa. I grew tired of telling people that I was from Korea because nobody knew where that was. They would always say, you're from China. And so I just started saying, yeah, I'm from China. I could go on and on and on about my physical insecurities, my social insecurities as a child, how I thought I needed to fix myself in many different ways, how I thought that I was born in the wrong country, I was born in the wrong place. I was born at the wrong time. So my question to myself as I became a Christian was, did God make a mistake? Was God wrong for making me the way he made me? Why didn't he make me 6'4"? Why didn't he make me a white person? Why did he make me a bicultural person, a bilingual person? All of these questions. Why, if he's all-knowing, if he's perfect, why didn't he make me the way that I think that he should have made me? And as my identity changed, right, from the world to in Christ, I started to realize that God made me exactly how I'm supposed to be made. Not that I'm perfect, not that I'm sinless, not that I don't fail or any, but that the mistake wasn't his, the mistake was mine. My own sin 
and the sins of the society and the world around me caused me to think that God had made a mistake. But it wasn't until my identity was changed, I was saved, born again, made a new creation, that I realized my real identity. That the Lord accepts me for who I am and beckons me to come just the way I am. However, that doesn't mean that I stay the way I am. He calls me to come the way I am so that he could give me something better, so that he can give me a better identity, so that he can give me a better life, eternal life. When I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, my Lord, I understood that my identity was no longer in the way that I looked in others' affections or in worldly possessions or wealth or anything else. I also understood that my own shortcomings and that I had no idea who I was supposed to be. I, just because I'm myself, didn't have a license to say, this is who I am and this is who I'm supposed to be. I realized in my new identity that the only one who really knows who I am and who I'm supposed to be is the one who created me. So then as the Holy Spirit moved and convicted me, he helped me to remove the sins, the idols that I had in my life and in my heart and in my mind. And just as Paul says in today's passage, to renew my mind. He's not restrict. He didn't restrict me. Like I wasn't living great and I was doing, and then he was like, pulled me back. Like, don't do all those things. Otherwise, you know, you'll have fun. That's not what God did. He said, let me show you what real life is. Let me show you what's really good. We believe in the truth that God formed us perfectly and knew us even before we were in our mother's womb. We believe that we have been, as the Old Testament passage says today, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made by God. We are not broken because he made us incorrectly. We are broken because of the sin that has corrupted us into thinking that we should be people that we were never intended to be. We are made in the image of God and through Jesus Christ, even through our brokenness and even through our sin, God is redeeming us. He's sanctifying us to be made more like his image every day. If we try to find our identity in a single characteristic or this or that, and we'll always be left unsatisfied, disappointed, divided. If I even say as a Christian, I'm a Korean Christian. No, I'm a Christian and I happen to be Korean. This is why, again, the multi-ethnic vision is so important. I could go to a Korean church and be with my Korean brothers and sisters and only speak in Korean and eat Korean food all the time and just fellowship with Koreans. But I am a Korean second and I'm a Christian first. Furthermore, we shouldn't try to identify our sins or our sinful desires or ways and try to find our identity in them. In Christ, we put off the old self and we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self, 
which is in true righteousness and holiness. And so our denomination's 2020 report on human sexuality describes it this way. We affirm that the believer's most important identity is found in Christ. Christians ought to understand themselves, define themselves, and describe themselves in the light of their union with Christ and their identity as regenerate, justified, holy children of God. To juxtapose identities rooted in sinful desires alongside the term Christian is inconsistent with biblical language and undermines the spiritual reality that we are new creations in Christ. Nevertheless, being honest about our sin struggles is important. While Christians should not identify with their sin so as to embrace it or seek to base their identity on it, Christians ought to acknowledge their sin in an effort to overcome it. That is, we name our sins but are not named by them. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He is helping us. And so, church, let us be sanctified in the truth of our gospel identity. It's important for us not only to know who we are now in Christ, but also to reflect upon who we once were. Not so that we fall back into the old self, but so that we can be reminded every day that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not only this, brothers and sisters, but we have confidence because he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. And so through faith, we have assurance of God's love for us and our identity in him. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to see the fruit of our salvation that is being produced in us every day. And so let us not look at our failures or our broken desires or our sexuality to be the measure of our spiritual growth. Rather, let us be encouraged at how God is working in us, making us more humble, more repentant every day, more joyful every day, more compassionate, more peaceful, more patient, kind, gentle, faithful. Let us see how the Spirit is working in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And let us proclaim proudly our gospel identity that by the grace of God, by his gift of faith to us. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them every day. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you, and we thank you, Lord, for the identity that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as your people we be reminded of what you have done for us. That who we once were is not who we are now because of your blood. Let us walk in righteousness and holiness through the power of your spirit every day that we may glorify you in our lives and glorify you through our gospel identity. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.